us from temptation, but deliver us from evil. St. Jude, St. Francis de Sales, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so good. Well, once again, welcome back. And um, I started giving classes a bunch of years ago as a priest, and it, and it, and it welled up from frustration that I was unable to say everything that I wanted to say from the pulpit. Uh, it's such a narrow little sliver of time that you have. and A homily is actually a, a very specific thing. There are things you're supposed to do and things you're not supposed to do with a homily. And uh, I couldn't manage to get it all in, so I wanted to do more. So I, so I began to offer these classes. And one thing we want to understand when we, when we talk about the saints is that what we're hearing from here is the church's role models. You could say that the saints are the magisterium of the church in skin and bone. Okay? This is what we really believe. You could say that... Uh, well, let me just talk, just digress for a moment about the saints. Someone could, someone could say, for example, why do we need the saints? Don't we just have Jesus? Of course. Of course. But here's the thing. Not that there's a limitation in Jesus, of course, but there is a limitation in you and me. And we are actually unable to take him all in at once. With Jesus, we've got, say, like, the sun. Okay? With the saints, you've got the moon, so to speak. It's the same light, it's just reflected. And it's clearly far from the fullness of its source, but it's in such a way that we can appreciate it. We can digest it, we can relate to it better. And if you add up enough saints, and they're all so spectacularly unique, you get a beautiful, beautiful picture of what we really believe as Catholics. Sometimes people will ask me... um, Sometimes people will ask me what, what the, the, kind of the root question. Sometimes people will ask me is, "How do you know that your faith is right?" That's what they'll ask me. There's all these other faiths out there. How do you know that your faith is right? And my answer to them is always: first thing we want to say is we don't know. We don't want to say I'm right and everybody else is wrong. All right. But what we do want to say is that when you look at the pictures of the saints, it's so beautiful the lives that they lead, you can't help but recognize that it's true. You want to know why we're Catholics? Take a look at our all-stars, okay? And, uh, and Francis de Sales, he's one of these. So we want to form our Christian understanding of how to live based on what we see in the saints, okay? Now, when you get any saint, you're going to get some of their cultural context. But I don't think it's difficult to filter that out. You're going to get a 16th century saint. He's going to sound like he's right out of the 16th century. Or a 19th century saint. They're going to sound like they're right out of the 1800s. I don't think it takes a genius or a theologian to be able to figure what's cultural and time-specific and what is eternal in them. Okay? So, it's the same thing with Francis. Now, when you come across Francis, I recognize a lot of this might seem kind of tough. Okay? But I have to keep going back to what our Lord said. Narrow is the path, right? Difficult is the road, right? And few they are who find it. Um, And we also want to make sure that we don't hear challenging things and then excuse ourselves. Hear challenging things. You want to take that in your mind. You want to file it away. You want to pray over it. 
So often, people have a tendency to excuse themselves. Laity say, that's just for the priests. That's just for the nuns. And I've already told you what the priests say, right? Well, that's for the cloistered monks. So, you know, we don't have, we don't have to do that. That's for, that's for the monks. That's for, so everybody wants to pass the buck. Um, but when we, when we talk about Francis, what we want to do is we want to say, okay, if this is challenging, let me mull over it, pray about it, um, and, 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 and try to conform myself to it in the end. Okay? So once again, we're continuing from last week. And what this is all about is about getting specific about how to follow Christ. Okay? So we've got some subjects now that we're into. We are into uh, some specific virtues like patience and humility and gentleness. We'll talk about those. We're into some specific applications like friendships and flirting uh, and gossip. We're into the evangelical councils, poverty, chastity, and obedience. And like last week I said, I was gonna, wasn't going to plow straight through these. With first comes poverty, and then comes chastity, and then comes obedience, and then patience, and then humility, and then gentleness. I was going to kind of mix things, mix things up a little bit. So I wanted to talk last week about patience and friendship and poverty. And the only thing I got through was patience and part of friendship. Okay, so today we're going to finish talking about friendship, and we're going to add in poverty, and if we can possibly get to it, a little bit about humility. We'll see how far we get. Okay, um, so we're talking all about friendship here, and when we talk about friendship, you got to remember um, Francis is fantastic on friendship. It's hard to find a good, it's hard to find a good Christian author talk about friendship. But here's Francis de Sales, our 17th century Doctor Phil. And he, has, he says friendship is basically three things, okay? Remember, it's mutual and reciprocal love, right? Mutual. In other words, both people have to be aware of it. Both people have to share it. Both people have to exchange it. Love. Both people are aware of the fact that it's mutual. Both people are aware of the fact that it's reciprocal. And it's based on some kind of exchange, some kind of sharing, okay? Some kind of communication. When two people are friends, they're friends about something. And it's that something that their friends about that marks the difference between true friendship and false friendship. Okay? <clears throat> this question we've got to ask ourselves, we want to know, is a friendship good or a friendship not good? It all comes down to this. The nature of friendship is based on a shared love. So the question is, what is shared? <clears throat> okay? What is shared? That's the basis for the friendship. And Francis says, now you've got to be careful here, because love goes straight to the heart. And friendship is based on love. So if that's a tainted love, it's going to take your soul down with it. Okay? If it's a good love, it's going to lift your soul up with it. So uh, last week we talked about what a false friendship was. Okay? We talked about how it's based on a common love of frivolous things. A common love of sense-based things. Or silly qualities like how somebody looks or how somebody talks. Um, or kind of inconsequential things like sports. I mean, it's fun, it's got its place, but I had a friend once, and the entire summation of our friendship was sports. We went to some games together. But it never went beyond sports. I mean, after four quarters, it was over. Okay? Um, and that's not real friendship. So let's take a look about real friendship. Is. Let's take a look at real friendship today. We're going to talk about true friendship. And... You can summarize Francis on true friendship basically by saying this. If the friendship makes you a better person, that's real friendship. Okay? If the friendship makes you better as a human being, if it's bearing good fruit, 
that's good friendship. So we've got to stop and ask the question, what are you getting better in? Because you have a lot of people say, oh, my friendship is making me a better person. Okay, let's get a little more specific then. What's better about you? What's growing? Are you, are you becoming more knowledgeable? Yes, I'm becoming more knowledgeable. My friend is really smart. Great, that's a good thing. Um, are you becoming more courageous? Yes, my friend brings out the best in me. Great, that's a good thing. Uh, are you becoming more just? Yes, I'm becoming more just. I'm becoming more prudent, more sensible, more real. Wonderful. Okay, these are all good things. When you have a true friend, you are built up in virtue. And here's the thing. The higher the virtue you're built up in, the more true the friendship is. And that's why the most true of all is when you're built up in charity. Now, charity is not niceness, okay? Let's not forget. Charity is Christian love in action. And you could, you could, you could say this. If you want to know if you're in the presence of somebody who is a holy person. I remember uh, in past parishes, you get people and they comment on the priest. And they say, oh, that priest is so holy. Really, why is he holy? You should see him when he says Mass. He doesn't show any emotion. Uh, why, why is that holy? You want to know the real litmus test that someone is a holy person? Is that when you're finished spending time with them, you want to be closer to God. That, and the more they do that to you, the holier they are. And to the point where, you know, there's occasionally a truly holy soul in the world. And I tell you, ten minutes with that person is like being on retreat. Very rarely in life, like maybe once every decade, you'll meet such a soul. Occasionally I'll get a chance to go to confession. And the priest who I'll go to is just, he's just remarkable. There's just something about him. And you walk away sort of aglow. It's like all your problems are suddenly in, in, in perspective. The truest friendship is the one that builds you up in charity. One that makes you ask the question, how can I love God better? How can I love other people better? What does it mean to be a better Christian. I tell you, you see the spectrum of friendships when you do, well, I do lots of marriage prep, okay? And you really see the spectrum of friendships. Um, Remember one person came to be married and he didn't didn't want to have any children. I said, why don't you want to have any children? He says, well, it's going to be cut into my budget for a new car. And he wasn't joking. Okay, and then you go to the other extreme, and 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 I remember one couple. I was they wanted to have their vows in Latin, no joke. Okay, so you get this whole perspective. Whenever people want to get married, I always ask them, "Why do you want to get married?" And please don't tell me I'm in love, okay? Because that's what everybody says. Why do you want to get married? And the most common answer that you'll get when you ask that question is, "It's because of how she makes me feel." It's because of how he makes me feel, and it becomes a little bit of a task then on the part of the priest to help them to realize that what's going to happen when the feeling's not there? Okay? What's going to happen when the feeling disappears? Is the love going to disappear too? Something to think about. Okay? What we ultimately want to build to in the vocation of matrimony, or in any friendship for that matter, is this person makes me a better Christian. This person makes me love God better. And the greatest truth of that is that you grow in charity. Francis says, the friendship is most precious and most excellent when the gift of it is charity. Excellent because it comes from God. Excellent because it tends towards God. Excellent because its bond is God. Excellent because it will endure eternally in God. Now that's a very, that's a very, that's a very beautiful thought for me. Um, a true friendship 
will endure eternally in God. Archbishop Fulton Sheen says, in the language of love, there's only two words. You and always. Any true love is focused on the other and forever. And we know in our faith, marriage lasts until death do you part. But, love lasts forever. Okay? Francis says, although they're all joined by the bond of charity, they'll know a special kind of sharing with those they have loved most closely with a special love in this world. A love through which they, make, they grow in grace and virtue. They helped each other proclaim the glory and praise of God's name in themselves and in their neighbors. Now in everlasting life, they have not lost that love. They still love and still share with one another even more closely and even more fully, adding to their love to the good of all. Okay? So that's a very beautiful thing. And that's something to really strive for. But we have to remember that you know, charity doesn't always feel good, does it? Uh, charity is a decision. Charity is not a feeling. Char- charity is a choice. Um, but this is, this, is, this is what true friendship is, according to Francis. And that's really something to stop and, stop and meditate on. What is it that binds us together? Two, two spouses, they should be the best of friends, but it, but any two friends. Okay? Um, and he says this is, this is true for any friendship you might have with family, with, with relatives, with neighbors. He says, I don't refer to the simple love of charity we must have for all men, but a spiritual friendship with which two or three more, or more souls share with one another their devotions and spiritual affections and establish a single spirit among themselves. That's a, that's a pretty good understanding of a, a true friend. One soul dwelling in two bodies. The Holy Spirit can make that happen. Okay? It's mutual. It's supernatural. And Francis says, basically, everything that's not that is an illusion. Everything that's not that is a phantom. Okay? And so he says, you'd be very, very careful now. Uh, pick, pick your friends carefully. Pick your friends very, very carefully. In the seminary, um, they told us not to have any particular friendships. You ever heard that before? Particular friendships? Who's heard that before? Who's never heard that before? Fair enough. Um, seminaries, convents, monasteries, religious houses, there's a wariness, and there has been for centuries, of particular friendships. You're not supposed to be too close to anybody. Um, and, and Francis says that that's fine for monks and for cloistered. They're, they're walking on a flat road. But, but those of us who are out here in the world, we need friendships. We need real friendships because we're climbing a steep and a slippery road and we have to hang on to one another if we're going to make any progress. Okay? So now let me return to a subject that I uh, talked about last week and that's friendships between peoples of the opposite sex. Now here's something last week that people had some questions about afterwards um, because there's lots of people that have friendships with people of the opposite sex and I don't want to make it seem like they're all bad or that they're inherently bad now the common wisdom of the world is that a man and a woman can't really be friends unless there's like some great age difference or something like that it's just not possible it just doesn't work a lot of people will say this uh, Francis says quite differently though and he bases it on scripture and he bases it on the saints. Okay? He talks about Christ our Lord to start with. He says, take a look at Christ our Lord with Martha and Mary and Mary Magdalene. Okay? Or he talks about St. Peter. There's a 
St. Peter had a friend in the a lady in the scriptures, his name was Petronilla. Or St. Paul. He had Thecla and Priscilla. Or John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. Or Francis and Claire of Assisi. Or St. Ambrose and St. Monica. Said Monica cherished St. Ambrose like he was an angel of God. Okay? So it is possible. It is possible, and it can be true, and it can be good, and it can be holy. But nonetheless, Francis says, watch out. Okay? Now, I, I, I found this to be a really common problem. And if it's a real common problem, in my experience, people bring this to me, I'm going to trust that it's something you've seen in your lives as well. It's been, it's been, it's been a common problem. Um, when people get too close, okay? Francis says, uh, um, we were talking about flirtation last week, and that was what really got people upset, because people didn't know what I meant by flirtation. Um, and basically, this is, this, is, this is the key to what's good and what's not good. If it can exist in the broad of daylight and in everyone's vision, it's okay. okay. But if it's something that you have to have in the shadows, if it's something that you have to keep in the secrets, then it's not okay. Right? And he says, flirtation begins and then real friendship ends. When he's talking about two people who have no interest and no no interest in getting married to one another. He says the real friendship comes to an end. And he says, be careful because the devil always tries to corrupt something that's good. And it has the capacity to be very good, but the devil always tries to corrupt something good. So he says, be on the lookout for it. And here's some true and some false friendships. And uh, and, and this is this is particularly for, for helping you know whether it's... Uh, whether it's from God or whether it's not from God. He says when a true friendship between a man and a woman is, is, is real, he says it's simple, it's honest, it's frank, it's direct. And when there's praise, it's always for virtues that they have and genuine spiritual qualities. Okay? And he contrasts that with false. He says it's false when it's sugary right, and passionate and exaggerated you know, like these exaggerated uh, uh, praise for beauty and exaggerated praise for... Watch out when you see that excess. That's a sign you're going down the wrong direction. He says it's true when it's simple, when it's modest, when it's pure, when it's focused on God. Careful now. You can even fake that. There's sometimes, you know, I've, I've, you march down. You march down the road sometimes in, in 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 what you thought was all about God, and sometimes it can be revealed after a little while that God just becomes an excuse for for two people, you know, for one person trying to get closer to the other. So, but when it's genuine, when it's true, the longing is all about God. It's false uh, when he says that uh, he he says it causes dizziness of the mind. You get the point, okay? Maybe that's a kind of a 16th century way of saying it, but you get the point, okay? Um, immodest looks, extended caresses, affectations, gallantries. You know, like you see in the movies, uh, the, 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 the pretty lady walks by, all the guys you know, suck in their gut, kind of thing like that. You know, strutting about. Whenever you strut about, you always look like an idiot, okay? People think they look, they always look stupid. Um, Complaints about not being loved in return. You haven't called. Why didn't you call? Okay, watch out. That's a sign of the false, right? True when he says there's clear judgment. Happy to be seen by others. Broad as daylight. Okay? 
false. He says there's fear of the light, love of hiddenness, love of secrets, fear of openness, blurred judgment. And on that point of blurred judgment, I have to make a little tangent. Um, And you can help me in this, okay? Because it's a very hard message for a priest to try to convince people who are unmarried, who are going to get married, that they shouldn't live together. It's a very hard thing to do. Uh, And you can tell them about divorce statistics and that sort of thing. It doesn't make that much of an impact. But I have found one thing that actually does make an impact, and it's this idea of blurred judgment. Uh, When two people express themselves sexually, there's a bond that's formed. And that bond is really helpful after you're married. Stick together. It really is a problem before you're married. Okay? It blurs judgment. A lot of friends can look at two people and see there's a problem here. You can often find a girl who can tell there's a problem with a girl and a guy who can tell there's a problem with a guy. Okay? The guy usually can't tell that the girl is a problem and the girl often can't tell that the guy is a problem. But a lot of these people, they march down the aisle and their judgment has been blurred by, by living together. And they end up married to someone who it's just not working because they have real deep personal problems that they have not been able to see because sex was so big it got in the way. Okay, And I have found that that actually does convince people when I, when I, when I can try to share that with them. It's blurred judgment. And Francis says, you know, hey, that's one of the signs of false friendship. Okay, um, When it's true, it's always honorable, it's always courteous, it's always kind, it's always pure. Okay, when it's false, and this is such a key telltale sign of a, of a false friendship, there's always a bitter residue. Okay? The, 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 these two people walk away from one another, and there's always a bitter residue. Um, and again, I'm talking about unmarried people. You know, I'm, I'm talking about not having an argument with your spouse, something like that. Don't get me wrong. Okay? I'm talking about um, the nature of a good or a bad one. There's a, there's a, a, a tendency, there's always a fear of rejection. Um, there's, there's always a tendency towards indecent conversations, uh, but there's always kind of this bitter residue. And Francis says this can go on for years. People can just get stuck in this, okay? And they do. And they do get stuck in it. And he says, very often it ends in violence. Very often it builds up, it builds up, and it erupts in the end in violence, okay? So, what to do when... Someone is in that circumstance. What to do when someone is in that circumstance? Um, basically, Francis says, get away from it as quickly as you can. Right? Nip it in the bud if you possibly can. Now, I found in my own little experience, this is very, very hard for people to do if they end up in this circumstance. Okay? Very, very hard for people to nip it in the bud. So, um, he talks about praying for God's help and I'm going to just add my little own personal five cents here. I'm going to emphasize that one real strongly. God has a way of stepping in and delivering and changing circumstances and making things work such that people can can actually break these things up. But Francis says, turn away as quickly as you can. If you're already caught in the nets of these poor loves, Francis says, it'll be very difficult to extricate yourself. Place yourself in the presence of God. Acknowledge your great misery, your weakness. Your futility, and with the greatest effort your heart is capable of, detest 
what you've entered into. He says, get away. Physical distance, okay? Distance, he says, it's a great help in lessening the torments and ardors of sadness and love. One will hardly be cured so long as the other person remains close. And in our modern world, that means it's got to extend to the handheld devices and the desktop devices, okay? Because there used to be a great difference between here and there, and in our own time, there is no more there. We're all here. We're all in one little digital room together, okay? So create that distance, physical distance, and as far as Francis, I'm sure Francis would be the first one to say, uh, don't Facebook stalk or text or any of these other things, that, you know, probably half a dozen other things that are going on out there. Get away, okay? Uh, and if you possibly can, you try to cut off all communication. Not some, all, okay? No one-on-one conversations. No secret meetings. Um, I see, he says, and this is where Francis really gets tough, I say forcefully to all those who fall into this trap, cut them, break them, rip them apart. <laughs> Don't untie the knots, cut them into pieces. You must be unsparing when it's a question of love, which is so contrary to the love of God. Uh, go to confession, go to communion, confide in your spiritual director, read holy books. I've found Francis to be spot on when it comes to this subject. Uh, you can't halfway this. Okay? So if anybody you know is caught in a net like this, remember, Francis once told you, that's how you do it. You cut it off and you don't go back and you pray God help you. Okay? And then this last thing to, to talk about here with, with friendship. Um, he says, here's the thing, you're never going to find a perfect friend. You're never going to find a perfect friend. Every friend is going to have faults. Every friend is going to have imperfections. Be careful you don't embrace the faults. Be careful you don't swallow the, the faults right along with the love. Because you've got to be discerning. Recognize that someone is a very good person, but they've got this fault. Okay? In our own time, we, we seem to have a really hard time to do that, doing that. Um, we have a hard time recognizing you can love someone and not love their behaviors. Right? You can love someone and admit they've got a problem. It's possible. Loving them does not mean that you have to embrace their sins or as you hate them, as they say these days. It's not the case. Right? Um, a bad, a, 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 there are bad things in everyone, and a friend will become bad if they embrace the bad qualities of the other person. Right? So don't be afraid to, to, uh, uh, to, to, to strain it out. Okay? Um, and there's a great temptation to, to adopt, their, uh, to adopt their, their, their character faults. Uh, but bear with them patiently. Okay? Bear with them patiently. And he's only talking about imperfections here. He's talking about imperfections here. He says there's no tolerance for, for sin, because if there's sin tolerated, then the friendship's going to die. Um, um, so there's Francis on friendship, okay? You've got the true friendship. you got your... Which is basically make sure that what it is that you have together, that you love together, is the highest thing. That, and, and if you don't have that, you try to build towards that. I, I think that a lot of friendships... Can, can begin on loving lesser things and they can grow, right? They can grow towards loving higher things. You've got to help one another along. That's what we're supposed to do. Okay. So let's, let's shift gears here, all right? And let's talk about the first of the evangelical councils, poverty. We're going to talk about poverty. We're going to talk about chastity. We're going to talk about obedience as time goes by. And the first thing I want to tell you is these are the evangelical councils. Evangelical, because they come from the gospel, Okay. Evangelium, Latin word for gospel. Um, Councils, because they are advice. Who gives the advice? Jesus Christ gives the advice. 
Does he give it with a tag that says clergy only? He does not. Okay? And the idea here is um, in poverty and chastity and obedience, these are three things that incline the heart to cling to God. When they would ordinarily cling to money, right? cling to power, and cling to relationships. And what do you find among the great people of the world? Money, power, often lots of relationships. Okay, That's among the great and powerful people of the world. What do you find among saints? What do you find among those who follow our Lord very carefully? This is what you find. Now these are not popular because they're hard. Basically any religion that doesn't say anything about poverty, chastity, and obedience isn't challenging you at all. These are the things that really hurt. This is, this is what really matters. And, and it's funny, people take these things different ways. I remember there was a priest, he told me, he says, you know, they give, they give you tons of advice when you're a new priest. Uh, he says, you know, you can get used to chastity, you can get used to obedience, but man, I, I hardly ever find anybody who ever embraces poverty. I mean, it, poverty is to a converted soul what chastity is to an unconverted soul. It's a very rare thing to find. And then you find people say, you know, you can get used to poverty, you can get used to obedience, but I'm telling you, I'm 78 years old and I've never gotten used to chastity. <laughs> not mentioning any names. Okay. You can get used to poverty, you can get used to chastity, but you never get used to obedience. Let me tell you, the bishop calls and he says, here's what you need to do, and girl, you just never get used to it. So you take your pick. You can hate one, you can hate them all. It's up to you. But they're counsels from Christ and they're actually trying to lead us closer to him. Okay, so let's take a look at this. But the first thing we have to do is we have to frame the subject, okay? Because someone might well ask, why poverty? Why? Okay? Why do Christians care about poverty? What's wrong with the good things of the world? What's wrong with a five-star hotel? What's wrong with a, uh, a meal at the finest restaurant in town? What's wrong with a Rolls-Royce, Mercedes-Benz? Are these things bad? No, they're not bad. They're good. They're very good, or else you wouldn't admire them, or else you wouldn't want them. Okay? Here's the trouble. The trouble is it occupies your heart. That's exactly the trouble. Okay? It's interesting, you look at the Gospels, you'll find Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. You can't give your heart to both God and money. He never says it anything else. He doesn't say you can't serve both God and country. He doesn't say you can't serve both God and family, right? Um, he says you can't serve both God and money. And why is that? And it's because they compete for the same place in the heart. The place of love and the place of trust. Now, money is... a uh, an, an item in the world that's useful for many things. Without it, we couldn't pay our bills, right? Okay, but that doesn't mean you give your heart to it. That's really the key. That's really the key. And you don't place your trust in it. Sometimes I, I, I marvel at the words that are used in the financial industry. Securities, right? Trusts. Boy, isn't that tough. Honestly, now, where's your security? Remember the great financial collapse of 2008? Um, uh, Pope Benedict got up and he said I don't mean to pretend like this is a good thing but let me tell you you don't trust in money it's ultimately an illusion 
Okay? Trusts, securities, all these sorts of things. And the interesting, interesting you find God has a special love for the poor. It's not because poverty is good. Right? Don't get me wrong. It's because in their need, they turn to God. Okay? Wealth gives an illusion of sufficiency. And it's an illusion. And that's why many of those who are poor and needy find God and many of those who are rich do not. Not all, but many. Not all, but many. It's not an evil, it's a danger. Okay? And here's Francis now talking about poverty. He basically says it all comes down to the heart. Okay? If your heart isn't absorbed by it, you're okay. If your heart is absorbed by it, you're in trouble. Okay? Don't set your heart on the things of this world. You alone control what you give your heart to. And he has a couple of little silly examples here. Uh, I guess this comes from his world. Uh, I've never seen this before. He says, like the bird's nest floats on the open sea. It floats on the sea but never gets submerged. It's in the sea, but the sea is not in it. He says, you know, you can be in the world, but the world isn't in you. Or it's like the pharmacist who has poison on the shelf. It does him no harm because it's not in him. Okay? And so Francis says, this is what it's like for the things of the world. Be superior to them. Be above them. Don't be in them. Let it be in your purse, but not in your heart. That's what Francis says. Okay? So, you hear that, and you say to yourself, great, time to go shopping. Because after all, it's not in my heart, right? I'm not attached, right? I'm set. Oh, okay, watch out. Watch out. Francis goes on, right? Francis goes on. He says, nobody ever admits they have a problem with this, okay? Everybody's fooling themselves, he says. And there's always an excuse. My children need it. That's why I have it, right? Why do I need it? Well, I need to be prudent. I need to be careful. I need to be cautious. There's always an excuse to have still more. And here's the danger. He says, avarice becomes more blinding the greater it becomes. It becomes more blinding. And this is where you see like these sports figures, right, whose income is greater than that of many countries, and they want more. And you think to yourself, don't you have enough? I remember reading about a pop star. You know, I won't mention, right? We're going to pass right over that. And he says, I think I could probably get by on $10 million a year. And I thought to myself, yeah, I could probably squeeze by on, on that too. But they don't even realize that's an outrageous statement. The greater your avarice becomes, the more blinding you become. And he says the key, Francis says, the key is your desire. Okay? You can't possess and still be possessed by ardently desiring something. How do you know your desire? How do you know whether you're at fault? Here's the key, okay? You know you're at fault by the pain you feel at losing it. That's how you tell. Is it in my heart? Am I attached? Ask ask yourself one question only. How do you feel when you lose it? Okay? That'll tell you how attached you are. Um, It says, if you're not unduly upset by the losses you experience... And if you do not desire with too consuming and exact desire those goods you do not possess, then you have no reason to believe that although wealthy in fact, you're not so in your heart. And you're therefore blessed because the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. So put yourself through some tests, you know. 
So, for example, my car goes into the shop. And the rental company gives me a loaner, right? And the loaner is, you know, like a 1912 Honda or something like that. And you lift up the hood and, and you know, there's a running wheel there with a gerbil. And that's the, and that's the engine. You say, geez, I can't wait till I get my car back. Take a note. There's a little bit of attachment there. Okay? Um, it's... Uh, it's 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 something it's something to be it's something to be aware of it's something to be to be conscious of, and he says if you really want to show that you're not attached, give it away, right? That's the real, real proof you're not attached. See somebody else who needs it, you give it to them. And he says this is something that really can work its way into your heart, and you should be constantly vigilant. And he gives some advice for what to do about it. Okay, advice for the wealthy, advice for the poor. And I got news for you: we are both, right? We are both. Just by living in this country. You're rich, okay? But there's plenty of times when life makes you very poor. And I'm not even talking about financially poor all the time, but you have the exact same experience. And I went down to Haiti, and uh, I, I was volunteering down there with a, with a medical group, helping them to, to, to vaccinate some of the people. And you, you, you wouldn't believe the, the way these people live. And you're, you're right there living right along with them. Remember some days I didn't have any dinner. I said, what's for dinner? I said, we're having a Haitian dinner. I said, what's a Haitian dinner? He goes, that means no dinner. <clears throat> and life goes merrily along. A couple weeks later, <clears throat> I took a vacation. <clears throat> Went out to Los Angeles. Drove my car down West Sunset Boulevard. Looked at the palatial estates that looked like they were out of the Loire Valley in France. Okay? And my mind went back to the straw huts in Haiti. And I thought to myself, something's wrong here. Okay? Any father of all people could, could, would have to be upset at this. But, you know, it's that, it's that, that connectedness to it that keeps people from sharing, keeps people from giving. Okay? Um, so he says for the wealthy, okay? he says, first, the first thing you want to do is be aware that it's not your money. It's God's money. Okay? He's given it to you, and you've got a big responsibility. All right? You've got the income of ten people you've got the responsibility of ten people. And it's not just money in the bank. That's true for any gift that he's given you. Remember the parables of talents? Right? How many talents did you you give me, good master? I gave you ten. Look, I've gone and made another ten. Well done. Enter now into my Father's kingdom. The same thing could be said about anything that we own. At the end of all things, there's going to be a reckoning. And God's going to effectively say to you, what'd you do with all I gave you? We want to be able to tell him, I helped here and I helped there and I helped here and I helped there. We don't want to tell them that we kept it all for ourselves. Okay? It's God's stuff and he wants a return on his investment. Francis says, are not gardeners of great princes most solicitous and diligent about cultivating and beautifying the gardens in their charge because they undoubtedly appreciate the fact these gardens belong to princes and kings whom they wish to please. Our possessions are not our own. God has given them to us to cultivate, and he wants us to render them fruitful. Okay, so um, first thing he says, keep that, keep that aware, keep, keep, keep a, a very keen awareness of that. Okay, and the second thing that he says, and this is something that might seem un, it's kind of unusual to you, but uh, I hope I hope that you'll find that it's not. He says you want to practice actual and real poverty, okay, in the midst of the world, and you can do this. You might not be able to do it every day, okay? But tr- if you haven't already, uh, you know, I know one family 
and every month, they go down to a homeless shelter in D.C. on a Sunday afternoon and they ladle out soup. And they're, you know, they, they, they keep doing this partly because of the incredible spiritual benefits it gives to them. And you can find these opportunities where you can put yourself at their service. Francis says, love the poor and love poverty if you're rich. Okay? Seek their company. Invite them into your home. Visit them in theirs. Be at ease with them. Talk to them on the street. Do you wish to do even more? Make yourself their servant. Serve them when they're ill. I mean it. With an exclamation point, he says. So you can tell this is difficult even to his own time. He has to emphasize that. Wait on them with your own hands, at your own expense. Be their cook, their seamstress, their laundress. Now, you don't have to actually... You, you can do this through an institution, right? Which is probably the safest way to, 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 to do it. Um, but, but, but still, it's, it's, a, it's a tremendously edifying thing. And it's Francis' advice for what to do if, if, you, if you're well off. Okay? Jesus said, remember, I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. Okay? When you lack something, and even the rich do it sometimes... Whether for oneself or a guest, when trials impoverish you, like storms or fires or floods or lawsuits or thefts, Francis says, embrace it willingly and cheerfully. So when you're wealthy, life throws you times of want. If you can remember that you can... I'm I'm not saying that you have... Love is not an emotion, right? It could be, woohoo, my house flooded, yay! Right? You know, hooray, my house is broken into. No, okay? it's a decision. It's a choice. But that if you recognize that in times when life throws you in seasons of want, that you're actually experiencing something that can, that can really release you from something your heart's been holding on to. That's what he's trying to say. Okay? Your heart's been holding on to something, and it's a chance to let it go. Okay. Now he says, for the poor... <clears throat> And at certain times in life, we're all in this category. Here's my favorite bit of advice. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't ask for help without shame. Okay? Um, and, and you know one of the most shameful things in the world is to, ask, is to have to ask somebody to help you. you I, I, it's like I'd rather... I'd rather do a hundred funerals than have to give one fundraising homily. Scout's honor, okay? It's extremely difficult. But he says, hey, poor, ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask. And that, and that can be you too. It might have to mean going to a friend. It might mean uh, turning to someone uh, who, to, that, that you need. And he says there's two reasons why when you're poor, this, this is an incredible spiritual blessing, okay? Two reasons. He says, first thing is because it's not chosen of your own will. It's not chosen of your own will. Anything you don't choose, as far as your penances are concerned, are always more valuable than anything that you do choose. So you'll get, uh, so I'll get somebody, they'll, they'll come to confession, they'll list a huge laundry list of sins, and I'll say, for your penance, say, in our Father. And they say, on our Father, are you kidding me? That's it? Don't you want to tell me I'm supposed to fast? Don't you want to tell me I'm supposed to, no, 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 just... Just for your penance, just just do this. Okay? And then sometimes it's harder for them to say yes to that because it's not their own choice than it is for them to do something that is their own choice. We always custom make our own penances and they're always far more comfortable than the real life penances that God sends us uh, 
you fill in the blanks, right? Could be the weather, could be uh, could be the, the news, could be people in your life, circumstances that happen in your life. If you want to know what your cross is, ask yourself what in your life you would eliminate if you possibly could, right? And that's your cross. You'd do anything in the world to, to subtract it from your life, but you can't. That's your cross. And you know what? Anything you don't choose is far more valuable than what you do choose because God has it custom fit to you, to your life. And the Francis says that's one of the things to keep in mind for the poor. It, 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 you didn't choose this. And then another thing he says is that uh, when you're really poor, there's lots, of un, there's lots of unappealing things that come along with it. The poor are despised. The poor are reproached. The poor are abandoned. The poor are never esteemed. And he says that when you're, when you're really poor, you find that, man, they kick you when you're down. And he says, now, if you can, try to keep this in mind. There's a lot of grace there. I never said it was going to be easy. But if you want to grow in holiness, if you want to grow in grace, try to be attentive to these seasons in life where this is the case. Okay? Um, and I don't have it up here on the board, but I thought I could say just a couple little, couple little words about humility. This is a big subject. Okay? So we're going to switch gears now out of poverty and we're going to talk about humility just real briefly. Okay? And again, people might say, you know, why humility? And Francis says, if you want to be filled with God, you first have to be emptied of yourself. Okay? That's what humility is all about. So let's talk about pride for a moment. Pride doesn't mean I'm proud of my school or I'm proud of my country. Or I'm proud of my team. They won the Super Bowl. Yay! That's not pride. Right? Pride, and this is the telltale sign of pride. You desire to be better than the next guy. You desire to be better than the next lady. I'm not content at being smart. I'm only content at being smarter. I'm not content at being well-dressed. I'm only content at being better-dressed. I'm not content with being rich. I'm only content with being richer. It's always comparative. Okay? And, 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 and uh, Francis he says, truthfully, you've got nothing to be proud of. Here's one of my favorite quotations. is from uh, St. Jose Maria Escriva. This is a, a, a meditation in four words. You? Proud? About what? I, I personally love that. He says it's all vainglory. And you know what vainglory is? Vainglory is glory you give to yourself. Right? Glory that you give to yourself, either for what is not in you, or what is in you, but not because of anything you did, or because what is in us because of what we did, but not worthy of a boast. Okay, I love these little examples that he gives. He says people take pride in things that they own, and Francis says there are those who are proud and haughty because they ride a magnificent horse, or because their hat sports a fancy feather, or because they're wearing some smart and fashionable clothes. Who does not see the folly here? If there's any glory due, it's due to the horse, or the bird, or the tailor. What a pitiable heart is his who expects attention because of a horse, a feather, or some lace. Right? And you can substitute in your modern examples. I often think of... Uh, I, I was watching this little video clip once about this guy who's driving down Fifth Avenue... In New York City in a Lamborghini Murcielago, which is just fancy, okay? Um, if I had one Lamborghini Murcielago, I could build the whole church. 
um, we auctioned it off. <laughs> but anyway, he's driving down the street, everyone's turning and looking and smiling and taking pictures, and I'm watching this little thing thinking to myself, does it matter who's behind the wheel? Does it matter? That would happen if anybody was driving the car down the street, because it's not about the guy, it's about the car, but people get proud of that. Or he says they become proud of their appearance, or their talents, or their learning. He says certain men make a great to-do about their beautiful mustache, or their carefully groomed beard, or their curled hair, or their fine hands. Others, for knowing how to dance, or play cards, or sing, or else they strut about, altogether taken by their beauty, which they suppose is a wonder to everyone. Isn't that great? Is this not pitiable, that someone seeks to establish a reputation based on such trifles and frivolities? Again, these things are good in themselves, but they're spoiled by the love and the attention that we give them. Okay? He says, honor is attractive when it comes our way spontaneously. And it's ugly when it's demanded, sought after, or insisted upon. When I was back in the seminary, I was uh, sacristan. Where's our sacristan? So I was the sacristan in the seminary, so I've been there. Okay? I was the sacristan in the seminary. Among my jobs were to get very important people into the right place before very important masses. So I had this task of going to the Philadelphia Archdiocese Vicar's General. Who knows what a Vicar General is? Almost nobody, okay? But let me tell you, I didn't know what it was either. And boy, did I get it. So I walked into this room, I was like, are you guys the Vicar's General? And this guy was like, you mean you didn't know that already? And I said, no, I'm from the Arlington Diocese. He goes, huh, good thing. I said, yuck. And I've been telling the story ever since, okay? Um, I remember once there was a... Now, this is going to seem like an exaggeration, but this is actually true. I knew a priest whose... All he wanted in life was to be a Monsignor. That's all he ever wanted. Okay, poor guy died. He was never made a Monsignor. But once, the bishop came and visited, and he actually got an altar boy to, on cue, walk up and, in the presence of the bishop, say, Hey, Father, why hasn't the bishop made you a Monsignor yet? (laughs) And he, in turn, said, Why... Why, I don't know. (laughs) And you laugh at it, okay? You laugh at it because it's the ugly side of honor when it's demanded, when it's sought after, when it's insisted upon. Okay? The pursuit of God, all right, is the beginning. And here's a very interesting little thought for Francis. He says, you've got to learn to see these things for what they are. The pursuit of God is the beginning of becoming good. The pursuit of those things, the pursuit of honors, he says, is the beginning of becoming despicable. We laugh at that kind of pretense. But take care that it doesn't take its place in your heart. He says, those who have pearls don't bother with the shells. And those who have virtue don't bother seeking after honors. Okay? So that's only just an introduction to, to humility. There is no way on God's green earth I can finish the subject tonight. Um, so uh, tell you what, we'll pick up with humility next week. And we'll take some more things as well. Okay? Questions for anybody? Yes. So, uh, back to poverty, you said that the thing 